Bible reading today is on page 202, 1 Samuel 16, verses 1 to 13. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? Saul will hear about it and kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, Do you come in peace? Samuel replied, Yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at, but uh, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shemai, Shema pass by, but Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered, but he is tending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent and had him brought in. He was ruddy with a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. He is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Samuel then went to Ramah. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Louise. Father, I pray this morning that the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. I want to read to you one more text this morning from the book of Acts. From the book of Acts, and it's Acts chapter 13, verse 22. It says, After removing Saul, the Lord made David their king. He testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. That text is very important for us because I believe that the Lord wants every one 
of his children to become a person after God's own heart. That's what he's seeking from you. That's what he's seeking from me, that we be like him. 3,000 years ago, God chose a young man called David and, invite, and, and wanted him to be the king of Israel. Out of all the sons of Jesse, the favor of God landed on a lad named David. Now, David was the youngest son of a poor farmer from a tiny hamlet called Bethlehem. David was a young man who was not respected even by the members of his own family. He was a nobody. He was living in a family of nobodies. Yet by the grace of God, David became the greatest king of Israel ever. He's also an ancestor of the Lord Jesus. He's listed among the, Hebrew, the, the, uh, the Hall of Fame of Heroes of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11. During his life, he received great promises and remarkable blessings from the hand of God. But greatest of all, David became a man after God's own heart. And that was God's testimony of him. So we're going to spend the next few months looking at the life of David and, and understanding how this humble shepherd boy became a man after God's own heart. Now some of you might be wondering why we should spend time studying a man who lived some 3,000 years ago. And the short answer is this. David achieved in his life something that God wants us to achieve. And I've got to make that point strong. God wants us to be like him and to be men and women after his own heart. So as we study David's life, we might be able to work out how we too can become people after God's own heart. So let's have a look how God chooses. In, this, in the reading which Louise brought to us this morning, the chapter opens up with God reminding Samuel of the fact that he had rejected Saul as the king of Israel. Saul was chosen as king because the people wanted a king. They wanted to be like all the other nations around about them. And Saul was head and shoulders above the rest, literally. See, up to that point, God had ruled the nation. He raised up leaders when they were needed, the judges. And that's how things operated all the way through, from the time of Moses all the way through the judges. And they were warned about elevating a man up to the throne because that's going to bring political corruption and trouble. When Saul was chosen to be the king, the people were elated. They thought it was wonderful. Fine physical specimen, big tall bloke. He might have been a giant among men, but spiritually he was a little man. He was a jealous man. He lived for the praises of the people. He tended to overstep his boundaries. He was guilty of gross disobedience of the commands of the Lord. And as a result, the Lord proved to Israel the dangers of having a human king. And God rejected Saul as king of his people. And as a result of Saul's rebellion, God chooses a new king to rule over Israel. He chooses a young man named David. And when God chose David, he chose an unlikely candidate from a very lowly place to such a powerful office. And in God's choice, choice, choice of David as king, we're allowed to see something of the process that God uses as he chooses someone to work for him. So we're going to look at that. Now, when I was preparing this sermon, I thought this, this series, I was like, oh, Lord, why this series? Why now? Why for this people? Who are you preparing here to work for you and be big person for you, be important? We're a church full of mostly pensioners. Do you remember the pensioner that came and spoke last week? Stephen Downey. 78 years of age. 
Now, at the end of the service, Stephen called me aside. He said, Martin, I need to talk to you for a moment. Okay, so we sat down over there and we had a chat. He said, Martin, I'm going to retire. I'm 78 and I'm going to retire from the Pocket Testament League. I said, well, fair enough, you're 78. He said, yeah, I'm starting a new ministry. <laughs> but what? Because remember he told us about Pakistan and about all, all the, the people in, in the, brick, you know, the brick factories and that these people were saying, would you send us a teacher for our children? His new ministry is going to be supporting new teachers to Pakistan. By the way, $1,000 a year is all that's needed to support, to support a teacher there. He's starting a brand new thing at 78 years of age. Hello. That's amazing. Praise God. Who else could be doing something for God, do you think? Hey, in this room. Yeah, exactly. All right, let's have a look at this then. That's why this series is going to be important. You might be thinking like, oh, Dave was a young bloke. Well, doesn't matter what your age is. God will use you if you want to be used, okay? And God's choices are sovereign. So let's have a look at, at how God chooses. His, his choices involve sovereign providence, first of all. Because it's against the, the backdrop of rebellion and rejection that God begins this process of choosing a new king for Israel. And he's ready to raise up a new king and the people are made ready to accept a new king. And God works behind the scenes during those difficult days in Israel's history to prepare the way for his plan to be fulfilled. Next point is that, that God's choices involve sovereign planning as well. Because Samuel is told to go and find the new king. And it appears that the Lord has arranged everything to bring this chosen king into the world at precisely the right moment in history. Because if you look back at the ancestry of King David, you'll find the hand of the Lord moving and shaping events. One of King David's ancestors was a woman named Rahab. She's talked about in Judges chapter 2. She'd been saved out of pagan idolatry, brought into the nation of Israel. She marries a man named Salmon and becomes the mother of a man named Boaz. And Boaz marries a Gentile girl brought out of paganism by the sovereign grace of God named Ruth. And Ruth and Boaz were both the great-grandparents of a boy named David, who we're going to be talking about today. There's a lot of events to bring about this guy. God is planning something. And these events, I believe, were not accidents. They were part of the perfect plan, formulated in eternity past and worked out in time. This is not coincidence. It's the mighty hand of God. See that in the events of history. God's choices also involve His sovereign power, which is my next point. Chapter 16, verse 1, He says to Saul, I have rejected Saul as king. See, many, many people have great plans and great dreams, but they, they lack the power to bring them to pass. Not with God. If God plans something, He'll bring it to pass. God rules the affairs of human beings as well. Remember a guy called Napoleon? You're older than I thought. <laughs> Napoleon, at the height of his career, was reported as giving a cynical answer to someone who asks, is God on the side of France? And Napoleon says from his arrogance, God is on the side of the one who has the heaviest artillery. Well, then comes the Battle of Waterloo, where Napoleon lost both his, the battle and his empire. And years later, in exile on the island of St. Helena, chastened and humbled, Napoleon's reported to have quoted the words of Thomas Akempis, Man proposes and God disposes. That's the lesson of history from the Bible. So what lessons can we learn from God's sovereign choice? I think there are a few, and they need to be noted. First of all, there are no accidents in life. 
Everything that occurs is part of a larger plan. God is working, often behind the scenes, often in ways that we cannot comprehend, to accomplish His plans and His service and His purposes. So we need to thank God. God is in control. Doesn't matter who you voted for yesterday. God is in control of the outcome. Whether you're happy or you're sad about it, God is in control. And second, God is able to bring his plans to pass. He'll never propose a plan that he cannot accomplish. And if his plan is to raise up a shepherd boy and make him a king, that plan's going to work out. And thirdly, God's choices extend to every area of life. Now, I don't presume to understand this. I really don't. Because there are a lot of things I've got questions about that happen every day. To you, to me, and to people around about me. I don't understand. But I believe that the Bible teaches that God is in the business of working out things according to His will and bringing His purposes to pass. Now, some people, of course, are very bothered by the fact that, that God is in control of life because bad things happen to good people, don't they? But I'm also comforted by this because I know that nothing can happen unless the Father has in some way allowed it. And that also includes the bad stuff. I know it's not his perfect will, but it has been allowed. And as the Father allows it, I know that he can also use it for his glory. So that gives me great confidence. So let's move on. God's choices, the next point, Ethan, thank you, that God's choices are surprising. Because let's look at the context of all that's going on here. Samuel is sent to Bethlehem to anoint a new king. And when Samuel arrives there, he, he commands Jesse to, to gather together his sons and they come before the old prophet and they pass before him one by one. And in this process, God makes known his choice for the king. But his choices, whilst they are sovereign, they also contain some really big surprises. Because his choice is surprising in its rejections. Next point. The first of Jesse's son arrived before Samuel and his name is Eliab. That means God is father. Oh, that sounds like a good name for a king, doesn't it? He says, God's my father. He's a fine physical specimen, and Samuel thinks that surely he's the chosen one, but God says, I've rejected him. Eliab might have looked pleasing outwardly, but something in his character disqualifies him from being king. Abinadab is the next one. My father is noble. That's a good name. He too passes over, rejected by the Lord. Next is Shammah. His name means astonishment. Now, that might refer to, I don't know, perhaps he was a big bloke too, or some other physical trait, but he too is rejected. And one after the other, the sons of Jesse passed before Samuel until seven have passed before him, and each one is rejected by the Lord. Now, surely these men were all fine physical specimens. You know, their physiques have been honed by, by hours of long physical labor. Um, any one of them could have possessed the physical requirements to turn heads and rule as the king. But none of them possessed the right character traits. And that's where God's looking. You see, God sees what man cannot see. Samuel was impressed with Eliab, the first one. God wasn't. Now, you would have thought that Samuel would have learned his lesson about all of this because of the whole deal about Samuel. Remember Samuel stood head and shoulders above everybody else and, and he thought, well, that's the bloke. We're the same, aren't we? We look at someone, we see a fine specimen of a person and go, oh, well-educated, intelligent. Surely you know, this would be someone God's going to use. You know, we remember kids in your youth group, you know, watch them grow up, think, oh, he's going to be a preacher. Oh, this one's going to do something good for God. Eh, who knows? 
God makes his choices not based on the outward characteristic. God sees the content of the heart. We need to understand that. And God's choices are surprising in their requirements. And next point. God tells Samuel that he's, he's not looking at the physical attributes. God looks at the character of a person's heart. So before, before Saul ever ceased being king, God had already determined to raise up a man with the right kind of heart. Have a look at the 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14. 13. Samuel speaking on behalf of the Lord to Saul. He says, Your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought a man out after his own heart and appointed him leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's commands. See, Saul was now past tense. God's picked a new man. The sons of Jesse then stand before Samuel on that day. They all looked apart, but Samuel couldn't see the condition of their hearts. Eliab stood, for instance, above the old prophet's eye. But his character, by the way, is revealed in the next chapter. Eliab was critical. He was jealous. He was negative. He's not the kind of guy you want to have as your king. He might have been a big man externally, but he was a baby inside. He's not the kind of man God could use for his glory. And the lesson is for the church, we need to learn this too. When we are looking for leaders, don't look at the person's achievements and what they look like. Or the other characteristics, you know, they're the people of influence and power and that sort of thing. God looks for integrity. God looks for character. He wants people who are faithful. He wants people who are holy. And what an incredible contrast. God is not nearly as impressed with people's achievements as we are. He's not concerned about the beauty of the outward person. He's caught up with the condition of your heart. Begs the question. When God looks at your life, what does he see? He's looking at your heart. He's not looking at what you see in the mirror in the morning. He's looking at your heart. Does God see a heart that he can use? Or does he say the same thing about your life that he said about Eliab? I've rejected him. What does God see in your heart? God's choice is also surprising in its receptions. After, seven, after the seven sons of Jesse have passed before Samuel and they've all been rejected, Samuel finds out there's another son. He's the youngest and he's said to be out with the sheep. He's so insignificant within the family, he's not even summoned with the rest of the boys. He's left out of the feast. He's left out of the sacrifice. He's out there doing the work of a humble servant, looking after the sheep. When he's mentioned by his father, he's not even called by his name. He's simply called the youngest. What's his name? Who knows? He's the youngest. And when he walks in, Samuel sees what? A bright-eyed young man, red cheeks, been outside in the sunshine, handsome-looking bloke. He's the one that's been rejected and passed over by the others. He's the very one that was picked by the Lord. Now, no, no doubt Jesse and his sons were all amazed as they, they watched this ancient prophet hobble over to the youngest and anoint him with oil so we need to be careful how we assess those around about us we look at people today we think we know who God's going to use who God's not going to use you never know you really don't God often passes over the ones we would choose and he calls the ones we would never have imagined 
I can tell you, I never imagined to be here preaching the gospel. <laughs> I wouldn't even have picked me. Forget it. God takes nobodies and he turns them into somebodies. God went after a man after his own heart. He didn't go to the palaces. He didn't go to the temples. He didn't go to the places of influence or wealth or power. God chose the most unlikely person in the most unlikely place. The key to being used by God is possessing the right kind of heart. Imagine it too. You know, Saul of Tarsus becomes the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. You wouldn't have chosen him. He was persecuting the church. Peter, the great leader of the Jewish church. Who would have chosen him? chosen him? He rejected the Lord. You wouldn't have chosen him, but God did. Let's move on. God's choices are specific. It seems, it seems crystal clear that God has a specific plan in mind. He sent Samuel to a specific town, to a specific family in that town, and then to a specific person chosen to be the next king. Very briefly, there are some indications as to why God made the choice he did in the life of David. First of all, God chooses those who are ready. Next point. When, when Jesse and, and, and David's brothers are, are brought in before Samuel, they are consecrated, it says in verse, in verse 5. In other words, that their sins are dealt with, they are made ready for worship. And when David's brought, there's no time for this consecration to happen. There's no time for a special deal for him. But, interestingly about David, he is ready nonetheless. David is a picture of, of, of the believer who keeps his heart in that state of readiness. He doesn't know when the Lord might call him, so he stays ready at all times. That's the kind of person God's looking for today as well. God will not use a dirty vessel. He's looking for those who are ready, who are clean, who are ready to answer his call. And God chooses those who are reliable. Next point. When, when, David, when God calls David, he, he finds him faithfully doing what he's been told to do. He's keeping the sheep out in the back paddock. He's doing a, a lonely job. And he does it because that's the job that's been assigned to him. And after he's been anointed, fascinatingly, he's been anointed to be king of Israel. I thought, okay, he's going to take his sword and kill Saul now or something. No. What's he do? He goes back to the back paddock looking after the sheep again. Why? That's what he does. Even after he's called to Jerusalem to play for King Saul, What's he do? Back to the back paddock, looking after the sheep again. Why? Because that's what he does. David was given an assignment. He carries it out faithfully. He even places his own life on the line to protect the sheep. You know, he attacks the bear and the lion. This handsome little bloke. When Jesse looked at David, he saw the youngest of his sons. When his brothers looked at David, they saw a little brat. Samuel saw a cute little boy. But when God looked at David, he saw integrity, he saw faithfulness, he saw responsibility, he saw character. Others saw nobody, and God saw a king. Brothers and sisters, if you want to be used by God, even at this stage of life, just be faithful where you are. Bloom where you're planted. We need to be ready. We need to be reliable. We never know when God's going to call us. He knows where we are, even if you're out in the back paddock looking after the sheep. He knows. 
and he'll call you when he wants you. Be aware, be ready, be faithful. Just walk with him. In his time, he'll use you. And God chooses those who are redeemed. When, when Samuel anointed David and perhaps whispered God's plan into his ear, I'm not sure what he did, but I can just imagine this old prophet now hobbling over, putting some oil on your head, saying, hey, mate, God's got a job for you. You're going to be a king. This was not David's first encounter with God, though. Not at all. No doubt David had seen the glory of God written in the heavens. My call to worship this morning was from Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. David saw that. He knew that. He knew that God was his shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. David knew that already, Psalm 23. David had witnessed God's incredible care for his own people. He might have walked onto the public stage in, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, but I think David had been walking with the Lord for a long time. Listen to his own testimony. 1 Samuel chapter 17. I like this testimony. This is a cool testimony. The Lord who delivered... 1, chapter, uh, 1 Samuel 17 verse 37. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. David's been walking with God for a long time. He says, you know what? I can take on anything in God's hand, in God's name. Verse 45 of the same chapter. David says to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin. Okay, he's talking to a giant, by the way, right, with some big equipment. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. David knew who his God was. He had been walking with God for a long time. He could testify out of his own life the incredible power of God to deliver him from anything. That was his testimony. But here's the point. God will call those who know him. Do you know God? Do you have a testimony? Do you walk with him? God calls those who know him. God chooses his vessels from amongst his redeemed people. He knows those who live in a faith relationship with Him, who live clean lives, who are ready, reliable, and available. Does that describe you? You've got to answer that question. That's between you and the Almighty. After last week, after hearing Stephen Downey at the age of 78 saying, I'm going to retire and start a ministry, I believe God is still looking amongst us, amongst this demographic of God's people. God is still looking for people he can use for his glory. So can you honestly say that your life is ready and that you are available to him? Do you possess the kind of character that God is looking for? If there are problems in your life, I invite you to come before God. Confess them to him. Confess your sins, receive his forgiveness, and be made ready to be useful for him. If you desire to be used by the Lord, come to him. If you need to renew your commitment to the Lord, come to him. Present yourself to God today. If you have any needs of any kind, come to God. He is here. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them, says the Lord Jesus. He's here. He's looking for you. 
He's looking at your heart and he wants to use us. Of that I'm convinced. Would you join me in prayer? Father, thank you. Thank you for your word that we can study ancient texts about people that are long gone and yet we can be motivated and inspired and we can recognize that you are looking at us even now, you're looking at our hearts and you want to use your people here at Doylesome. Father, I ask today that you would meet the needs of this congregation of your people. That those who want to can come before you. They can come before the throne of grace right now. That those who need cleansing can receive cleansing right now. Father God, we worship you. We adore you. We thank you for your blessings. And we thank you for your presence amongst us. Lead us forward. For your glory we pray. In Jesus' name.